if you've got your Bibles, I hope that you do, would you open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there is a hardback black Bible underneath the chair in front of you or around you. If you're using that Bible, we are going to be on page 871 this morning. Uh, We are picking up where we left off last week with Ricky in our series in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, I want to take a moment to thank Ricky for doing a great job last Sunday. If you missed that message, do yourself a favor. Go to our website, albertachurch.com slash media. There you'll find links to our YouTube channel and your favorite podcast apps. Go listen to that message. You will be blessed. Um, But I think we're going to be a little tight on time this morning. So we're just going to dive right into the text. So Luke chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 35 and we're going to go to verse 48. Jesus says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required." And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Elsewhere in scripture, we read that the grass withers, that the flower falls, but that the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can we pray? Father, as we look to your word, I ask that you would speak to us this morning, that we would hear from you, we'd be encouraged and equipped, that as we deal with a text that comes across a little bit harsh, we'd hear the warning that you give out of love for us, that we would be challenged to confront sin in our own lives, that we would put that sin to death, and that we would live joyfully, faithfully, obediently for you. Speak with us this morning. Let us hear from you, Holy Spirit, as we open up your word together. It's in your beautiful, precious name that we pray. Amen. A couple of years ago, I read a biography about Abraham Lincoln entitled Team of Rivals. 
Uh, And in the book, the author, Doris Kearns Goodwin, tells the story not just of Abraham Lincoln, but also of uh, the men who formed his inner circle. They were the men who served as as kind of the primary rivals of Lincoln for the presidency. And, And Lincoln went and he chose these men to be the leading members of his cabinet. And as Goodwin tells the story of those men, and she tells us about one of them, Salmon P. Chase, who served as Lincoln's first Secretary of the Treasury until Lincoln nominated him to serve as the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And and as she tells the story of him, she shares a letter that Chase wrote to his 11-year-old daughter, Kate, sometime around 1851, while he was serving as a United States Senator. Now, I read this book back in 2022, But that small extract from Chase's letter to his daughter stuck with me because of how out of place it felt. Chase was a man who had become a widower three times before his 45th birthday. He'd have several of his kids die at a very young age, and by all accounts, he was a faithful, devoted follower of Jesus. And as he wrote this letter to his 11-year-old daughter, Kate, who was in boarding school in New York, he told her, quote, Remember, my dear child, that the eye of a holy God is upon you all the time, and that not an act or word or thought is unnoticed by him. Remember, too, that you may die soon. Already 11 years of your life are past. You may not live another 11 years. How short, then, is this life, and how earnest ought to be our preparation for another. As I read that letter, it it stuck with me in the back of my mind And as I looked at this text uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, getting ready for today, that quote just jumped to my mind. In fact, I had to go find the book, and and I didn't highlight, I just read those biographies for fun. I didn't highlight that quote, or like I was literally just turning page after page until I found it, because it stuck with me. And as I read this text this morning, it it just jumped to the front of my mind, because as I read that letter, I I couldn't help but ask myself, who writes a letter like that to their 11-year-old daughter? Like, who talks to their 11-year-old daughter and says, hey, you could die any day now. Be prepared. Right? It seems so morbid of a thing to say to such a young child. But then I remembered that for the most part, we are insulated from death in a way that no other generation of people on the history of the earth has been insulated. Because of modern medicine, infant and child mortality is nearly a thing of the past. For the most part, we can expect to live a long and robust life. The reality is that for the most part, we just don't encounter death like people just 150 years ago did. We're insulated. And that insulation, um, it it brings this, this thing where we lose track of our mortality. We lose track of the fact that one day we will stand before Jesus face to face and 2,000 years of Christian history, 2,000 years of waiting for Jesus' second coming has done the same thing. Now, it's built this insulation where we've, we've lost track of the fact that Jesus is going to return. He, he could return any day. He could return today. And I know, even as I say that, you agree with me, it is a theological possibility. You understand in your brain, it is possible that today Jesus could return. But even as I say that, I think most of you would agree that if if you're being honest, you don't think today is the day he's going to do that. That's the insulation I'm talking about. 
And the problem with that kind of insulation is that it leads us to let our guard down. It leads us to think that we have more time than we actually have. It leads us into disobedience. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in this text. Now, last week, Ricky did a great job of helping us to see Jesus' warning against allowing anxiety to divert our attention away from all that he has called us into. But as Jesus continues today talking to his disciples, now he's giving us a word of exhortation. And this exhortation, the, the encouragement, the command that we find in this passage here is incredibly relevant. What we're seeing here in this passage is a call to live every day prepared to meet Jesus face to face. And that's the main idea of this text. What Jesus is working to help us see is is that right there. If you walk out of here with nothing else today, walk out of here with that. Live every day prepared to meet Jesus face to face. We don't know when that day will be, so we simply have to be ready. That's what Jesus is saying here as he begins in verse 35. He's telling us to be ready. Take a look. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. As Jesus introduces this idea of being ready for his second coming, he does so by using um, arguably the most classic image of Israelite readiness. He uses language that points back to the exodus. It points back to the commands back in Exodus where the Lord tells them to eat that Passover meal with their garments, their robes tucked into their belt, ready to leave at a moment's notice as they get out of Egypt. That's the imagery that's wrapped up in Jesus' command to stay dressed for action. The idea is that we are ready at a moment's notice to meet him when he returns. And when he gives us that instruction to be prepared, then he gives us two examples that help us to see how we can be prepared, how we can be ready. The first he is, is he tells us to live like we're faithful servants. Take a look at verses 35 and 36. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. The first image that Jesus uses here is the image of a faithful servant who is waiting for his master to return from a great wedding banquet. And he's telling us, be like that guy. Now, yesterday afternoon, I got the honor of officiating Chase and Riley's wedding over in Grand Bay. Um, and and it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, the wedding was in the afternoon And after the wedding, there was a great reception. Like, it was fun. Like, no kidding. It was cold because it was outdoors, but it was fun. There was dancing. There was good food. There was good fellowship. But by 7 o'clock at night, I was back home in my nice, warm house. Now, Katie and Kylie were there at the wedding with us, but even if they hadn't been, they're too old for having a babysitter. Um, But I was talking to Pastor Ben earlier in the week, and and they needed a sitter for Harper and Judah. And so um, as we were talking, he noted to me that when they go somewhere and they get a babysitter, they usually tell the babysitter, hey, when we get, we're going to be back about this time. He even noted that often when they get in the car to head home, they'll give the sitter a call and say, hey, we're on our way home. We'll be there in 30 minutes, right? Um, so their babysitter knew with pretty good certainty when they were going to return from the wedding. Now, here's the thing. 
First century weddings weren't anything like ours today. They usually lasted several days. Often they could go as long as a week. And so the only way to be ready for when the master would come home from that wedding was to be ready all the time. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting here for us. It's a picture of a servant who is actively serving. He's continuously preparing. He's joyfully anticipating the arrival of his master when he comes home from the wedding banquet. And what I want you to see is that it's the same thing for us. We can live like this faithful servant. Now, what does that look like for us? It looks like active service, where we do all of those things that Jesus calls us in to do, where we're living to serve in our church, where we're serving in our community, where we're sharing the gospel and the various circles of influence that God gives us. And we're continuously preparing for his arrival, where we spend time in the word of God. This is how we know him. This is how we know what he's done for us. This is how we know what he's called us to do. So we spend time in the Bible. We spend time in prayer. You can't have a relationship with somebody if you never talk to him. And so we spend time talking to him in prayer. We spend time living in community with one another. Basically, what it looks like to prepare for his coming, it looks like living out your faith every single day. And we joyfully anticipate his return. We don't allow ourselves to fall into that trap of thinking it's not going to happen for a very long time. We look forward to Jesus' second coming the way some of y'all look forward to Christmas. Right? Like, like, this seems to be getting worse every single year. Like, I know there's some of you guys, and I'm totally judging you, who on December 26, 2023, you started the countdown, 366 days till Christmas. Why do you do that? Why? You do it because you look forward to all of the joy and fun and good things and blessings that the Christmas season brings, Right? That's why you do it. It's a fun time of year. We should have that same kind of anticipation towards Jesus' second coming, where we look forward to the joy and excitement and, and all of the blessings that come when Jesus comes a second time and we are perfectly reunited with him. That's the kind of anticipation we should have. Now, we don't know the date, so we can't set a calendar and a countdown on any of that, but, but that's what it should look like because we can't wait for everything that Jesus will bring. And all of this gives us a picture of what it looks like to be the faithful servant that Jesus is describing right here. But that's not the only example that Jesus gives us. He actually gives us a second example, and that second example is of a wise homeowner. I want you to skip down to verse 39. Jesus says, but know this. If that that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Here, Jesus is giving us another perspective for thinking about how we can be ready. This time, the picture is of a wise homeowner. And he's telling us, be like this wise homeowner. Now, most of us should be able to identify this with this one, right? Because we all have a place that we call home, Right? And we want that home to be safe. We lock our doors at night, most of us. Some of us have gates on our property, right? Like, we understand what this is like, but we also know that sometimes we leave our home. 
Sometimes we go, you're not home right now. You're at church, right? Like sometimes we're not there. But, but here's the thing. Like if you knew with certainty that at 10.45 p.m. on July 9th, burglars were going to come and break into your house and take your most valuable possessions, if you knew that that was going to happen, you wouldn't schedule a vacation for the week of July 9th, would you? No. You'd be sitting there in your living room with a loaded shotgun waiting for them to come through the window, right? Because that's what wise homeowners do. And in the same way, as disciples of Jesus, we want to be on guard for what might threaten our relationship with Jesus. What might get between me and Jesus? And listen, those threats can look like different things for different people. So maybe just take a moment and stop and ask yourself, what tries to get between me and Jesus? Maybe it's anxiety and worry like Ricky talked about last week. Maybe it's a desire to be in control of everything. It it could be your job or a hobby that you have. It might be an ingrained pattern of sin that you refuse to confront and put to death. It could look like a lot of things. But part of being ready for Jesus' return is being on guard for the things that get between you and Jesus. And so we need to be alert. We need to be like that wise homeowner. Jesus gives us these two examples, and then he tells us in verse 40, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Like we do not know when Jesus is going to return again. And it's the very fact that we don't know when he will return that should drive us toward this readiness. And so Jesus gives us this encouragement to be ready. And and then Peter steps in and he asks a question. Take a look at verse 41. Peter said, Lord... Are you telling this parable for us or for all? Now, I want you to know how thankful I am that the Bible shows us Peter in all of his glory because I feel like I can identify with Peter. Like, Peter tends to ask the questions that if I was standing there, I would ask. Like, often, they're like an open mouth, insert foot kind of question, right? Like, he just asks these very relatable questions. And here in verse 41, Peter is asking a relatable question. He's asking the kind of question that I feel like a lot of us would ask on a regular basis. Essentially, Peter is looking for qualifications on the command that Jesus has just given. Hey, Jesus, is is the command that you've given to be ready, is, is that just for us or is that for everyone? He's looking for a qualifier. But but as Peter asks his question of Jesus, Jesus doesn't answer the way that Peter expects him to answer. He answers with a promise and some warnings. And I want you to see this. So take a look, beginning at verse 42. Jesus begins with the promise of reward for faithful service. Look at this. Luke, Luke tells us, And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. 
Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Jesus says that servants who are found to be faithful will be blessed. That they will be rewarded for their faithfulness. This is very similar to what Jesus said up in verses 37 and 38. There he said, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Throughout all of the scriptures, we find these promises of blessing for faithful obedience to God. We can look forward to God's blessings as we live obediently, faithfully for him. Now, we're not living in obedience because of the blessings, right? We're not trying to earn God's favor by obeying him. It's the overflow of our love for God that leads us to obey him. But the outcome of our obedience is blessing. That's what Jesus is saying right here. And so he gives us this promise, but then he also gives us a warning. And the warning is that there is a just punishment for unfaithfulness. And embedded within that just punishment for unfaithfulness, within that warning about that, we see three examples of what that unfaithfulness can look like. And each one of those examples comes with a different punishment. The first is there in verses 45 and 46. Jesus says, But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. This first example we're seeing here of unfaithfulness is of a rebellious disobedience. Like the servant pictured here stands in stark contrast to that faithful, obedient servant that we've already seen. Like that first faithful servant, he knows the master's will. But instead of doing it, he does the exact opposite. The master had put him in charge of the house, but instead of doing the master's will, he takes advantage of those that are under his care. He abuses them. He takes their food. He drinks their wine. He gets drunk. He eats and drinks and and is merry while the master is gone. He completely disobeys the master's commands because he does not think that the master will return. And the warning is that if you're unfaithful like that, if you're rebelliously disobedient, you can expect an incredibly severe punishment. Jesus says that when the master comes, they will cut him in pieces. And what Jesus is doing right here, he's using hyperbole to help us see that this is an incredibly severe punishment. But after the punishment, then he's taken out and he's put with the unfaithful. And depending on the translation you're reading right now, you might have noticed that that word unfaithful is also translated as unbelieving. And I think that that's actually the better translation. Because the idea is that this kind of rebellious disobedience is evidence that you don't believe. And so you're separated from the master. And the picture here is that if you're a person who lives in rebellious disobedience, 
where you know the master's will, where you know what he's commanded you to do, but then you do the very opposite of that, you're not actually a servant of the master. That's the picture. You're put with the unbelieving. You're put with the unfaithful. And listen, this this is a warning for us. Like if you call yourself a Christian... Like if you know what God has commanded us to do, if you call yourself a Christian and you know how Jesus has called you to live and you do the very opposite of of that, listen, like I love you, but I don't know that you're actually a Christian because you're not living to serve Jesus. And what Jesus is saying right here is that the just punishment for this kind of rebellious disobedience is separation from the master. Because you don't actually live to serve him. The warning here is serious. Rebellious disobedience against God results in eternal separation from God in hell. Don't miss that. That's the warning about the first servant. But as Jesus continues, he gives another example of unfaithfulness. Look at verse 47. Jesus says, And that servant who knew the master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. The second example is an example of a lazy disobedience. And the idea is that you know what the master has called you to do, you know what he expects of you, and yet you do nothing at all. You just sit there. And I think that there are a lot of Christians out there who find ourselves in this kind of disobedience and sin. We may not actively rebel against God. We just don't do what he tells us to do. We know what he's called us to do. We, we, just, we just don't do it. But what I want you to see is that Jesus makes it clear that kind of unfaithfulness, that kind of disobedience... It's sin, and sin will be dealt with. Jesus says they will receive a severe beating. Listen, church, God does not take our sin lightly. I think sometimes we forget that. I think we tell ourselves, it's it's okay, there's grace. He'll forgive me. But to, to live like that, to walk in sin and just say, it's okay, there's grace, God will forgive me anyway. That is a fundamental misunderstanding of what grace is. Because when you truly understand grace, when when you truly understand the free gift that God has given us in Christ Jesus, you're not going to want to walk in sin. You're going to want to walk in holiness. You're going to want to walk in obedience. And so what we've got to see here is that to know the master's will and not do it, that is sin. And there will be a consequence for your sin. That's the second example that Jesus gives. But then as Jesus continues, he gives a third example of unfaithfulness. Look at the first half of verse 48. Jesus says, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Listen, sin is sin. And even ignorant disobedience will incur punishment. Because God takes sin seriously. 
I, I know sometimes that, that creates some angst in our heart. It doesn't seem fair, but we're not God. He is. And he takes sin seriously, so we have to understand that. But even as Jesus explains these various levels of unfaithfulness, even as he explains these various levels of disobedience, what you need to see is that regardless of the level, everyone is held accountable. Everyone faces the righteous judge. And the point of all of this, though, is to answer Peter's question back in verse 41. Remember the question? Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And Jesus' answer is yes. Yes, Peter, this parable is for you. Yes, Peter, this parable is for everyone because the offer of salvation is for everyone. And as Jesus calls us in, he sends us out. We are equipped in various different ways to serve and live in obedience to what he's given us. There's no such thing as being a Christian and doing nothing. There's a reason why we keep telling you over and over, it's so important for you to get connected in the church, to serve in the church. Because, Because God's blessings on you are not for you. Like, listen, these guys right here, Like they have been blessed in some incredible ways. God has given them the ability to sing and worship and do tech stuff and and all of that, but he didn't give it to them for it to terminate on them. He gave it to them to be used to build his church and praise God he's going to do it, right? Like those guys, you guys, I know you're in the back there. Don't look at them, don't look at them. You guys have an incredible gift from God. Keep using it. Keep serving the Lord. Because all of us have been called to serve like that. And that's what it means to be that obedient, faithful servant. That's what it means to be ready. And so Jesus reminds us of that. And as he reminds us of that, in the second half of verse 48, he reminds us that everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Listen, the more God gives you, the more he's going to use you. The more God blesses you, the more he's going to expect of you. And what you need to understand is that is a blessing. Like, it's an amazing thing as you use whatever gift that God has given you to serve his church, to share the gospel with people who need to hear it. It's an amazing thing to watch God take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. It's an amazing thing to see a young child grow from not knowing who Jesus is to coming and saying, hey, Pastor Josh, I need you to help me pray for this big issue in my life that I don't know how to deal with. It's an amazing thing. It's a blessing. The more he gives you, the more he'll use you. And the more he uses you, the more he expects of you because he's going to show you what he can do. So see the blessing. And as you see that blessing, then look at the examples we've been given here and, and use them like a mirror in your life. Take these examples and Lift them up like a mirror, hold them up to your life, and ask yourself, 
who am I? Am I the faithful, obedient servant? Or am I a disobedient servant? Because the reality is there will come a day where you will stand before Jesus. It may be at his second coming, or it may be on the day that you die and you enter into eternity. And like Ricky pointed out with his awesome timeline last week, we don't know when that day will be. So all we can do is live prepared to meet Jesus face to face. This is now my fifth year serving as a pastor. And I've attended more funerals in the last four and a half years of ministry than I think I did in the 39 years leading up to it combined. And I think that's a good thing. I think Solomon Chase was right. It's good to remember that life is short. It's good to remember that one day we will stand before Jesus face to face. It's good to remember that we need to be prepared for that day because we don't know when that day will be. I'm going to get through this, but my family has gotten to be reminded of this in the last couple of weeks. A week and a half ago, Kylie, Tam, and I got in our van, and we drove up to the Robertsdale Coliseum, where we joined more than a thousand other people. Most of them, half of them, middle school and high school students. And we gathered there to celebrate the life and legacy of a man that I wish I had gotten to know better in the year and a half I got to know him. We were there for the funeral of Kylie's softball coach. Michael Turner served as a softball coach up at Central Christian High School But he was more than that. He was a teacher. He'd been the athletic director and coach up there for like 21 years. He was more than that. He was a long-serving deacon at First Baptist Church of Robertsdale. He was a missionary. He was a husband. He was a father. He was a follower of Jesus. And when Coach Turner died two weeks ago, he was 49 years old. In fact, this coming Thursday would have been his 50th birthday. And as we sat there in that service, I got to know more of who this man was. His 16-year-old daughter got up there, and, and she shared a couple of Bible verses, which in and of itself was just amazing because There were verses about how even as God leads us into the hard things of life, he's there with us and will bring us through. But then Hay shared a letter that she wrote to her dad. And as she shared that letter, she talked about how Hayes had been introduced to Jesus by Michael. How he taught her to know and love Jesus. How he taught her how important it was to read her Bible every day how he lived to serve the Lord. 
And then after Hayes backed away from the microphone, four out of five additional kids who were not Michael and Tracy's actual kids. They're just kids who'd had rough times in life, things like that, who Michael and Tracy had brought in to be part of their family, not legally adopted, but adopted into their family. And the four of the five that were able to make it to the funeral stood there and they shared the same testimony. And then after that, Michael had two of his pastors come up and and they shared stories of ministry, like years of serving the Lord, like, and not like the cool stuff that everybody sees and shines and, and brags about, like the hard, gritty stuff of ministry. Ministry here in Baldwin County, ministry around the globe. And then the service ended in a way that I have never seen a funeral end. It ended with worship. And I was kind of sitting over on the side, the center's over there, and toward the end of the last song, I I looked over and I saw what is arguably the most powerful testimony that Michael lived every day prepared to meet Jesus face to face. It was Tuesday morning, four days after Michael died. His wife and his daughter were standing there And they were worshiping Jesus. And I'm not talking standing there singing Amazing Grace. I'm I'm talking hands raised, worshiping the king of creation. And as I saw that, all, all I could think to myself, and maybe this is a little selfish, but all I could think is, man, I want that testimony. Like, I want my kids to be able to stand in front of a thousand people and say, Dad led me to Jesus. Dad taught me to follow Jesus. And even in this terrible moment where my life is changed forever, God, you're good, and I'm going to keep on worshiping you. Like, everything, everything about that service made it abundantly clear. Michael Turner lived every day prepared to meet Jesus face to face. On Sunday... After church, he was at Central Christian High School in the gym, coaching his daughter in basketball. On Monday, he sent out the text message with the schedule for softball practice for the week. On Friday, he looked Jesus in his eyes, face to face. Ricky said it last week. We do not know when that day will be could be today, could be 50 years. We can't do anything about that. That's not in our control. All we can do is live every day prepared to meet Jesus face to face. That same day in the afternoon, Ricky called me, or I think he texted me. He was getting ready to preach the following Sunday, and he said, hey, Josh, heads up, there's flu in our household. And so I pulled out this text because I figured, well, we'll just preach it a week early. And I read this and I thought, oh my goodness. That's the story we just witnessed. That's an example of a guy. And I know that's heavy. I know it's hard. I I know that's a kind of a downer way to end a service and a sermon. But like, man, that should be our testimony where we lived every day for Jesus.
where we lived every single day prepared to stand in front of Jesus and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So that's my challenge for you today. Live every day. Today, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Live every day prepared to meet Jesus. Because you will. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you for this hard warning. We thank you that you give us this hard warning, not out of anger, but out of love. And as we consider this warning, Father, I ask that you would help us to take it to heart. Holy Spirit, I ask that that you would help us to live every day ready. I thank you for the example of Coach. I thank you how he loved big. And as we consider that example, as we consider what your word has confronted with us, us with this morning, I, I ask that you'd help us to take that and go out and live it. On the days where we're tired and we don't want to do it, on the days where we're tempted to do our own thing, on those days, hedge us in. Lead us back into your word. Lead us back into faithfulness. Give us a desire to please you, especially when we don't have that desire on our own. Help us to give our entire life over to you and live completely surrendered to your will as faithful, obedient servants who serve actively, who prepare earnestly, who look forward with joy at the day that we'll get to see you and hear those words, well done. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.